always a demand for that energy. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't intentional about where you put it, it will get sucked out just naturally by the next most important thing that comes along on this conveyor belt of demands. <laughs> that's that's how I feel. A hundred percent. That is exactly what happens to all of us. And it's what can happen to babies. Welcome to the Mighty Littles Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Mighty Littles Podcast. This is Dr. Zimmerman, and I'm super excited to have Sue Ludwig on the podcast today. She is the author of Tiny Humans, Big Lessons, How the NICU Taught Me to Live with Energy, Intention, and Purpose. And we are going to be talking with her throughout this episode. Sue, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really excited and honored to be here with your audience. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited to have you here as well. I absolutely loved listening to your book, I will be honest, because I listen to uh, audiobooks when I'm driving to and from work. And so that was when I when I listened to it. And I think there are just some really awesome key themes that we can chat about that both relate to moms and dads while they're in the NICU, as well as life after the NICU. So why don't we start off by having you introduce yourself to our audience and tell them a little bit about your career path and kind of how you ended up writing this book. Yes, the long and windy way. So uh, I am an occupational therapist by education and background and training, and I've been in OT for 30 years now, uh, but I spent 20 plus-ish years working solely in the neonatal intensive care unit and uh, consulting to other NICUs around the country, which which gave me the opportunity to see, you know, sort of outside my own little world and there and get to know how everybody did things. And I loved that work. I, I miss that work, honestly, clinically. I miss the babies every day. So uh, that role uh, actually led me to, in uh, 2009, I founded the National Association of Neonatal Therapists, uh, which is a professional organization for neonatal OTs, PTs, and speech therapists um, who, you know, that's their focus. And I realized from all of my time in the NICU that, you know, there wasn't a group of us that existed in the world. We couldn't share resources or develop standards. Uh, And I just knew that babies in the NICU and their families deserved better from us. And I knew that as therapists, we wanted to deliver something at the highest you know, ability that we had um, through this unique lens to really focus on development and not just survival. And so that's, uh, I've been running that organization for the last 13 years. And then I've always loved to write. I've written since I was probably 10 years old and I always wanted to write a book, but having no real sense of what that would be. And over the years and and through my journey with running Nant, et cetera, I found myself sort of repeating a lot of similar themes, whether I was writing a blog post for Nant or, you know, for social media or anything, or even just what people were coming to me about personally. And those themes ended up really becoming sort of the groundwork for Tiny Humans Big Lessons. And, uh, you know, about living more intentionally and, you know, being responsible for our energy and some of the things we might talk about, they were, you know, part of my personal journey, the things in this book. Uh, But the NICU is a really powerful part of this book because really in the end, the babies were who taught me a lot about how to get out of the place of burnout I was in. 
I completely related to many of these themes. And I think in healthcare right now, it's really interesting because the pandemic created such a need for healthcare and at the same time, such a culture of burnout. And so we see a lot of people that are leaving healthcare. And a lot of these themes really kind of address that crisis that's happening in healthcare right now, too. Yes, I, I found uh, at our national conference and, and just talking to our members and things over the past few years, it really, everyone was just completely exhausted. And somewhere deep inside of them was still their passion for what they were, what they were doing. But, you know, they were just, they were just didn't have a lot more to give. And, you know, healthcare isn't set up to help us refuel. It's a shame that that's true, but it isn't really set up even in the in the worst of circumstances, it's not. And in the best of circumstances, there are just really no great path. And so uh, I've been speaking a lot about to that and um, trying to help, you know, whether it's healthcare workers, uh, especially, uh, but also just everyone who's been kind of dragged through this pandemic and and doesn't remember, you know, what regular life even feels like anymore. Yeah, or, so, or why they ended up choosing their profession in the first place, right? And reconnecting to like, why do I even care about this? And yes, it's a it's a place of weariness. And I think uh, we're seeing some little sprouts of life coming back and and things. And so hopefully we can, you know, talk about a few things today that'll help your listeners out in that place too. One of the things that you just said that I found interesting was you founded Nant in 2009 and as a way to bring people together. And I find that the NICU in and of itself is a very small world, but every unit has their own way of doing all these little tiny things, right? And yes. so we see from physicians that leave their place of training and go to a new unit or nurses that travel from one unit to another or occupational therapists that come in, that every unit has very different ways of doing things. They're not all right and they're not all wrong, but there is this culture that kind of settles in. So I'm curious, between 2009 and now, as you're getting occupational therapists coming to your NANT meeting, do you think that some of that isolated podness is going away? Or do you still find that occupational therapists come from their different units with kind of really ingrained, well, we do it this way, so it must be the best way? Because of this national association, do you feel like maybe we're a little bit more on the same page globally or nationally? That's a great question. Uh, it's like, Yes. And so the, I agree that both for therapists, OTPT speech and nursing and physicians, that there are hospitals that have a culture where sort of not many people leave that place and even go to a national meeting period. And I find that units that do not have a culture of learning at that level where they're getting out and seeing at least regionally, if not nationally, what's going on they tend to stay much more stuck uh, in what they've just always believed and they're highly influenced by the providers and the and the um, other professionals that are in that unit and quote how things have always been done, right? Um, this is the way we do this here. And sometimes even really quote elite hospitals or units um, can sometimes be kind of the worst at that because they think they're living in the Mecca, so to speak. And 
and don't go outside of there. And so uh, what I think I've seen over these 13 years is that uh, therapists were really hungry. We were we were searching for anyone who even understood what we did for a living and were really open, I think, to saying, what what is everyone else doing? What should we be doing? Uh, and yet there were still those some of those firmly held really beliefs more than evidence about where they came from. And so I think over the 13 years, We've seen that a lot, especially the uh, our members and who are connected, of course, all year and not just at the conference. But they're when they're really plugged in, you see sort of the uh, there will always be kind of idiosyncrasies in every unit, and that's fine and and great and individual culture. But I've seen kind of some of the um, some of that um, melt away in favor of what is correct, what is the best evidence, what have we decided as a group that is best practice. And so as, we, as we've been able to develop more standards and, and that they've been adopted, there is a less of the silo feeling to me and more of like, this is what we're doing nationally. And then how it's exactly done inside of any given unit, you know, is going to differ a little bit, but man, there should be some commonalities throughout so that our outcomes, you know, can, can be more um, reliable so that, you know, we're saying the same thing to parents and, and other professionals. So while I was listening to your book there, you know, you have it arranged kind of in themes as it is, but then there were certain themes that really jumped out to me that relate both to the NICU and to parental life going through the NICU and life after the NICU. And the first one that really, really jumped out to me was this idea of energy and how energy relates to balance in life. So in the NICU, I always explain to parents that babies have a pool of energy. And with that pool of energy, at the end of their NICU course, they need to be able to stay warm. They need to be able to breathe consistently and not hold their breath. They need to be able to eat everything by mouth, combination of breast and bottle feeding, and they need to be able to gain weight. And so the smaller your baby is, the more premature your baby is, the more I need to do because they don't have such a large pool of energy, right? They need help mm -hmm. staying warm. They need help with their feeding, which is why we use feeding tubes. They need help with their temperature regulation and they need help with breathing. So CPAP and high flow nasal cannula. And as they get bigger and they grow, they get a bigger pool of energy. And ultimately at the time that they're ready to go home, they have enough energy to do all of these things that are required to leave. So I love this idea that we have a pool of energy, very similar to how our NICU babies have a pool of energy. I, I just really, really enjoyed that portion of your book. And the quote that I really liked was that we need to reclaim our energy and put it towards our growth, very similar to how NICU babies have their energy that they put towards your growth. So do you want to expand on kind of your thoughts about this energy and and why you think that's so important in life in general? Yes. So, um, and that is a huge theme and of something, whole reason I wanted to write this book really is, is noticing the effect of this, paying attention to my energy in my life and, and what it had done for my life. But in the NICU, just like you're saying, I, it was such a great example right in front of me every day 
as a therapist of, you know, half of my job, I felt like was protecting the baby's energy, meaning, you know, yes, they have that pool of energy, whatever they have for whatever their circumstances are every day. But also a lot of the things we're doing to them, with them, for them, take energy, you know, from them and just regular care, you know, it's, it can be stressful. It's burning calories, how we're doing care can, can use up more energy than needed, you know, um, depending on how we do that. And so having to become an observer of and protector of the baby's energy uh, and trying to make sure that the way I was providing care was helping them in support of that energy, you know, so that, so that all of their energy every day didn't just go to those kind of autonomic things it's to survival that, that somewhere they had enough energy to put toward their own development. Um, and, and that same concept eventually sort of hit me over the head for my own life. And I think it was because I was so, uh, in the beginning of the book, you know, I was, I was completely depleted at a place in my life from, you know, various circumstances that we can get into or not. But, uh, and it just took me a while to realize that part of that was that I wasn't protecting my own energy. I wasn't noticing that in a given day, I just sort of woke up and hit replay and just, I just let my energy go in a million directions, which I'm sure if you're a parent listening, you can, you can, uh, you know, re might resonate because, you know, everybody needs you and whether you're, you know, working outside of, of being at home and being a parent or not, regardless, everyone is looking to you for what they need. And it's really easy to just keep giving and keep giving and keep giving and never refuel and not really even notice it through that lens. I feel like if I'm not intentional about protecting where I want my energy to go to, mm -hmm. it goes to whatever is the highest need at that moment in time. This person needs X and that person needs Y. And you just do it because there's always a demand when you are a mom. There's always a demand for that energy. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't intentional about where you put it, it will get sucked out just naturally by the next most important thing that comes along on this conveyor belt of demands. <laughs> that's that's how I feel. A hundred percent. That is exactly what happens to all of us. And it's what can happen to babies in the NICU if we're not intentional about how we provide care. The constant conveyor belt for them of getting care can just suck the energy right out. And if no refueling, no, you know, extra intention about how we're doing that. And the same in our lives. And uh, I was doing that exact same thing. I, I was really just unconscious about and unintentional. And it's off, it's almost like the same way if you if you go to work in the morning and the first thing you do is open your email, that that is you are just reactive already. You're just gonna keep putting out fires and keep letting something else tell you the order of your day. The and the and what you're gonna fire, you're gonna put out first. But when we're intentional in, in our lives and we st step back and think there are things that need to be done and there are people who need things, of course. But first, how do I want to spend my energy? Over time, we can look at all the things we've said yes to, many of which sometimes we don't even like really, <laughs> but we feel obligated. But really combing through our lives and our schedules and watching, just watching at first, where do I spend all my time? And where is my energy going? And what am I paying attention to is, is a really great exercise is to just first watch 
and with no judgment on yourself, just saying, let me watch myself for a couple of days and where's all my energy going and then stepping back and thinking, well, where would I want it to go? And what do I really enjoy? And who do I really care about? And what are my priorities? And where is my own refueling happening? Because we know if we don't pre-decide some of these things, to your point, they will just flow all day long out of us. There will be, we'll just react. And so it's kind of changing our mindset from that reactive mode to being more intentional uh, in the first place. So we prevent some of the leaking out of the energy and it feels more like we're putting it toward a specific direction. I, I like the comment to just observe where your energy is going without judging it. I, I do think we are very, very hard on ourselves. And that that word should, it's probably my, my least favorite word on the planet. Well, I, I should have or looking back, I, I should have done this, or I should be doing this looking in the future. You cannot make intentional change until you look at actually what's happening first. And noticing where you want to put more time, I think allows you to move in that direction a little bit more naturally than noticing where you don't want to put your time, if that makes sense, right? So instead mm -hmm. of running away from something, you're running towards something. Where do you want to put that energy? I think that's a much more positive move as opposed to, well, I don't want to be doing this and focusing on what you don't want to do. You don't really know where you're moving from. You're just running away from something. Right. And I feel like until we make room for the things or, or notice or say out loud or write down where we want to put our energy, a lot of times we're still just reacting because we we feel like we have to fill up all of our time for some reason. <laughs> so so until we decide I'd rather put my energy somewhere else, we're very likely to just keep running on the hamster wheel of what we're already doing because God forbid we have an hour of time that is not filled currently. Right. You know, we would feel like we're being lazy somehow because yeah. that's we're like wired, especially a lot of us are wired to just be productive, be productive, keep doing all the things. And we love, and a lot of times we're very curious and we love being involved in all the things. It's not that we don't like a lot of the things we're doing, but man, we have to look at like, what do we love and what really is the direction we want our lives to begin to flow. And when I was running Nant, at some point I, I was clinical and running Nant for a few years together. And, uh, and then that became unsustainable, <laughs> but it was extremely hard for me to give up my clinical practice because that's what I loved. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the whole reason for all of this was that I loved this work and what we were, what we were able to do with, um, with babies. And so, but I had to have that same conversation you did with myself about the, where, where do I want to, I can't do this, all of this well, and right. I'm not serving anyone, not them, not me not my own family, by being scattered yeah. too deeply in all the directions. Yeah. Well, and, and I also think it's important to point out that we all have different periods of our life. I mean, I wish we had endless supplies of energy, right? Like if only I could bottle up the energy of a toddler and just drink it and have an <laughs> endless supply of energy, we, we wouldn't have to sometimes make these tough decisions. But, but we don't have endless supplies of energy. And so that relates to this idea that we have periods of our life where your focus of your energy is going to be different. When you have a baby in the NICU and a toddler at home, 
you you are going to be putting out fires. You you may not have the luxury of being I don't want to say purposeful because I do think you can be purposeful with your energy, but you know, that's that's a period of your life where it is going to be an energy drain. There is going to be more requirements and and more demands, more mm-hmm. demands on your energy than what you really f- feel like you have to give, right? But then even within that that period where you feel like you just have so many demands, you can also find ways to protect a little bit of that energy and find little places to be grateful in within even that very demanding time frame. Yes, and I think when when you have young kids or or you know a baby or babies in the NICU or or whatever your circumstances, it's like where can I any little shred of that pre-decided time for yourself? If it's five minutes where you're locked in a closet and you just get to sit on the floor and not do anything for anyone, or you you know you you just have a space where you just sit and breathe somewhere, or where you get to exercise, or whatever your thing is that's kind of regulating for your system and your life. You know, any little thing, if it's reading for only five minutes before bed, like whatever is good for you. I think when you also when you kind of predecide some of those things, like this is what fuels me. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this little ten minutes you know, and put a flag in it for yourself. Then when you actually do that and show up for yourself in those minutes there, it feels really good. Yeah. You know, it feels extra good when you've like, I'm going to do this for myself and you do it for however small of a time it is. It it becomes uh, intrinsically rewarding to keep having finding moments like that and finding things that fill you up. Going back to your comment about noticing what you do in a day, I think sometimes being on the the hamster wheel or the conveyor belt or the treadmill of, of life, you don't actually notice the little things that you are doing for yourself. Like, I'm going to let myself get this cup of coffee every morning while I'm walking into the NICU. That can be a five-minute period of of you time like I'm going to enjoy this coffee not just drink this coffee out of survival but (laughs) let me let me enjoy this for just a couple of minutes those those moments also matter when it comes to being intentional with your energy yes because you're having you're experiencing it as a moment and not you know this is an experience and not just another piece of the blur right you know so anytime we can I think be a little intentional about that it sort of wakes us up a little bit like Oh, I'm. This is one of those moments where this feels happy, like a little stolen moment for myself. I remember having a moment not that long ago where there were just some really difficult things going on in our in our lives um, with our children. I'll just say, and and it felt like a time when I I couldn't feel anything but dread and and worry and all of that. And I remember. Um, it was just kind of all consuming, even though I, was, I still had to go to work, still had to do all the things, but it was just this background feeling of, of like that, um, that, you know, something's not right in your, in your life in a significant way. And I remember I took our little, we have these little long haired wiener dogs and I was taking them outside and my internal, you know, feeling was really dreadful. You know, I was just like heavy. And then one of the dogs just started doing something ridiculous, you know, and, and like rolling around or doing whatever. And I just started laughing and I just thought I, I, what I noticed in that moment was like, 
I was also had this kind of unconscious thought that I, I shouldn't allow myself to feel any joy while there was this background, really heavy thing. It felt like I was, I was then not honoring the seriousness of the situation by having this little tiny moment of joy. And then I just thought that's ridiculous to myself. And I just thought I need to let myself, no matter the circumstances, no matter how grave they are, no matter what's going on, I'm allowed to have some joy. Right. You know, like, what is that that we do to ourselves that it's like, uh, you know, we can't even have that one moment. So I I've tried more and more to just allow those moments when they happen, take them because sometimes there aren't many, <laughs> No, you know, in a certain season of your life and you right. got to take them when they come, uh, when we're able to fully show up in, in those moments and, and really feel them like the whole sensory thing, you know, uh, you know, that your life just becomes more vivid. You know, you get to feel it more and, and live it more. And those problems and the things, they will just keep on coming. So it's, I think we act like at some point, I can't wait till everything's just blissful or till I don't have, and and there are seasons that are certainly more difficult. Yes. Uh, and problems that are deeper and longer lasting and all those things. But most of them will, you know, will ebb and flow and, and all, I think, you know, one thing the babies taught me is just that we can't wait until we're done surviving to start to have a life or to start to thrive. Like we can simultaneously be surviving and building thriving into that instead of, I think what we used to do in the, it, at least a long time ago in the NICU is kind of you know, let's get them to X many weeks when they're more stable. And then we'll worry about like their development. And, you know, we're trying to say from day one, there are things we can do to support that development all along, even in the most fragile baby, there are things that were, we could make better or worse by the way we're doing everything. Yeah. So, so why wait? Um, And and I think where that plays in for NICU parents is, well, if I can just get through the NICU and get home, then everything will be better. But it's it's not always, right? Like then mm-hmm. now you're home and now you have to process what you went through in the NICU and maybe your baby needs some therapy at home or maybe it's now you have toddlers running around and you have your ex-preemie at home and it doesn't, it's not just magically better. So if you delay enjoying your baby while you're in the NICU because I'll just enjoy when I get home you missed this whole period of of joy and there's just a new worry that's going to come along you have to find ways to enjoy periods of time in all of these places uh, or or you'll miss out on all of it yes it's, it might not be better it might just be different you know going home you know yeah it's a it's a different kind of stress Um, and, you know, all along, um, you know, there are, I think one way that I would love, you know, us to talk more to parents about is that at every stage, you know, babies have capabilities. So I think it's really easy to see what they don't have, you know, maturity and lung development and thing, you know, things that we are just obvious visually, um, and, and in reality, but, they do always have some capabilities and being able to have someone be able to help you see them 
you know, like this is what your baby's doing to try to regulate their own system. This is how they're trying to reg using you to regulate. They need your help to regulate, you know, things that it's not that they're only going to have a personality later or that they're only going to have things to watch develop later when they're the things we know, like big things, crawling, walking, talking, there's, there's those same tiny developmental things in the NICU that are worth celebrating all along the way. And I, and I understand I've never had a premature baby, but from witnessing you all for years, I can understand that it's uh, mental gymnastics to get to start to celebrate things in a place that you never wanted to be. Right. So I understand I'm asking for a tall thing. Yeah. Um, but I also think that if we can, if, if we're able to do that, uh, it, you will, like you said, you'll remember this time as not just something that was entirely stressful, but also there were a lot of little magic moments in there that, you know, you got to witness. I, I always encourage my families to try to find one thing to be grateful for in every day. And oftentimes at the beginning, it's really difficult for them to find something to be grateful for. And sometimes I'm like, well, you got to give your baby a hand hug today right? Like, mm -hmm. I know you have a tiny baby on an oscillator who you can't hold yet. And that's really stressful. But you got to give your baby a hand hug today. That is something to be grateful for. It's not what you want. And that's okay. But you can still find that moment of joy of gratitude in this really bad day. And after we practice it for a little bit, it gets easier and and you notice those moments a little bit easier right it it it, it is it does take work uh, it's not always the easiest thing to do and i agree with you it is a big ask on those really hard days to mm -hmm. try to find one thing to be grateful for but once you practice it it does get easier and i think just like in our own lives if we sort of have that that practice of noticing things even on our worst days you know finding any shred of something, uh, you know, what, where were the, where was there a little light today or levity and joy or connection? Then you start to be on the lookout for those things. You know, you, you start looking ahead for them instead of, you know, sometimes we just like notice them in the moment, like, Oh, but, or we look back and think that was something we should be grateful for. But I think when you have that thought, like you're saying, then we can be on the lookout for those things and you find more of them because right wherever our attention is, you tend to find um, more things. That's that's exactly what I was just getting ready to say. We tell our kids, you get good at what you put your energy into. So if mm -hmm. you are putting your energy into, oh, this was the hardest day at school and it was the worst day and I don't want to do my homework, you're going to get good at whining and avoiding your homework. But if you put your energy into oh, I can do my homework in five minutes. And then you get good at just getting it done. Like, you know, that's a very mm -hmm. kid-specific example. But but I think that's true. If we're putting our energy into my life is so difficult, nothing's going my way, we will get good at being in that space. And if we mm -hmm. put our energy into I am in a really tough spot of my life and it's really hard and... I'm really grateful for this today, then we will notice more of those positives. 
And I, I think uh, like in the book, uh, you know, my now friend, uh, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor really taught me that phrase of please take responsibility for the energy you bring into this space. And that just, oof, you know, I, I, that phrase just changed me because I had never once thought that I, of it in that light, you know, that I could take responsibility for the energy that I'm bringing my children, that I'm walking into the next room with the next meeting, this podcast, you know, that, what does that look like? What does that mean? And that, that thought alone, and then trying to make that, you know, tangible in my life, that, uh, changed a lot of how I was able to show up. I, I felt more purposeful, no matter what the outcome of the quote purpose was. It just like walking around on a planet. I felt more purposeful when I was like, oh, I'm getting out of my car, going somewhere. If I'm being responsible for the energy I'm bringing into this place, what do I want it to be? Right. And, and so it didn't have to be a big thing or some life-changing thing you have to add to your plate. It's more just thinking like, hmm, what do I want to bring in here? And, you know, if you're a NICU parent, it might just be, you know, I want to bring my best mom energy right. to this next, you know, afternoon with my baby. And that might be reading or it might be just sitting skin to skin or whatever. But, you know, just it's just interesting to to say that sentence to ourselves before we go into the next thing. And and I also think if you take responsibility for the energy that you're bringing, you can notice, oh, I always bring this energy when I go into this situation. Mm-hmm. This is not what I want to bring. This is not the right situation for me, right? Or uh, I I gave all of my energy to this area of my life and I don't have any positive energy left for this other area of my life and this is more important so for example I'm putting all of my energy into work and at the end of the day I'm exhausted and I literally don't have any positive energy left to bring to my family Mm -hmm. okay that's something to notice and then okay, do you have any positive energy left? Do you have, what What do you have left? How could we change circumstances or change where you're putting your energy to make that go differently? Yeah, and even in that moment, I mean, pretend that's where you find yourself, you know, that you're just depleted and you're like, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing walking into this room, you know? I mean, I've learned too that I I was really bad at asking for anything, you know, like so if that's how I felt, you know, could I, instead of just maybe being in a bad mood or maybe being like, I'm exhausted, you know, bringing like this huffy energy to everybody, you know, could I go to my husband and say, I am really like, I have not had a second, you know, or I need help. Um, because I got nothing right now and that's not how I want to show up. Mm -hmm. So it, it also showed me that where I need to sort of surrender and be honest with the people, you know, and say, or say, you know, Hey guys, give me five minutes. I'm just going to go do X, Y, Z or something and whatever that is. But it may, it did make me stop and notice. And also sometimes, you know, just voice what I needed instead of reacting and then kind of being resentful, or maybe I'm just exhausted or I don't feel like having positive You know, um, you know, those are all fair things, you know, or give yourself permission to turn a movie on while you make dinner. So the kids are occupied and you have a little bit of calm because you don't have 
Like, I'm giving myself permission to do this. This is an yeah. okay thing to do right now. Yeah. And in an hour at dinner, I'd rather sit down and have a little more energy with them than right now. So let's transition away from energy. And the next thing that I wanted to talk about was baggage. We all have it. Uh, I view this as the shoulda, coulda, wouldas in our life, that backwards reflection where things seem much more clear. And I should have done this. I could have done this. If I only knew now, I would have done this. You talk about how we have to move from acceptance to forgiveness. And so I, I, I wrote this down or I, I underlined it. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we no longer care about what happened or that we condone the other person, uh, other's behavior. It means that we don't let our anger and hurt dominate our every waking moment, making our decisions for us and be the animator of our lives. I think that this will probably change my life. I found this to be very, very powerful. The idea that if we hang on to our baggage, if that's from your childhood baggage, from your current situation, whatever the things that we, I, I picture it like luggage, you know, that we pack up all this stuff that we should have done, we could have done that, or like just the way we wish things were. Um, didn't turn out the way we wanted, uh, trauma, all the real things of our lives. If we, I picture them, like we drag them around like luggage and they're heavy and in, unless they're healed. And I, I say healed as if healing ever is completely sealed off, but and it, I think it's really ongoing, but you know, I think we have to come to some level of just accepting what is, you know, I think we spend a lot of time arguing with reality and that gives us a lot of pain, you know, like I, you know, why I have a baby in the NICU, why do I have a baby, you know, arguing with what is, is painful and it is natural. Don't get me wrong. I'm not <laughs> shaming anyone, but it's from my own life. You know, like I just wish this thing in, in the book, it was, you know, a, one of the things was just a traumatic incident with my son that he experienced when he was a little kid and my mother guilt and all the things that I should have prevented that it should have never happened. Now he has this thing to carry around and all the real baggage that went along with that, my mistrust of people that came from that and everything. And so some of the realization that until I just accepted what was true, that I was going to drag that stuff around with me wherever I went and it leaks out whether we want it to or not. It leaks out in our relationships. It it leaks out in conversation or in our attitudes and and uh, in moods sometimes, et cetera. And it kind of colors our lives. But if we can find a way to just accept like this is a thing, this happened past tense or is happening, but then also find kind of slowly, and I'm not, there's no time frame for this, but to slowly move toward this place of forgiveness, um, whether it's, forgiving yourself, which I think is the hardest thing, forgiving other people. Because if, when we don't, um, we do let it become like the quote you read, the animator of our lives. We let that hurt and anger and resentment color everything and literally kind of draw our next steps. I mean, I know um, in my own life, you know, I was letting that incident unbeknownst to me, really, I wasn't thinking of it in particular, but I didn't realize how much I was holding on to that resentment and to this should have never happened. And, and 
how I was still seeing myself as a mother years later, you know, that I wasn't good enough. I should have never done this, et cetera. And really being able to accept and then forgive the people involved. Um, I realized I was the only person being tethered by that. You know, the people that had had sort of the people I had to forgive were likely never thinking about me <laughs> and, and this situation and whatever, but I was letting it literally steer my life. And, and I I'd realized how much I'd already of my life, I'd already given over to it and them, it, they had a lot of power in my life instead of me having the power. And I had to let go of all those tethers and literally cut them away to, and then be free. It, it wasn't about them really in the end, it was about me. Yeah, and I think this plays into the NICU and into motherhood in general in two big places. The first is my body failed me. Either I wasn't able to get pregnant or I had preeclampsia and I delivered a preterm baby. My body failed me. I wanted a vaginal natural delivery and I ended up with a C-section. My body failed me. I wanted to exclusively breastfeed and I had this traumatic delivery and my body doesn't make milk. My body failed me, right? There's all Mm. these um, expectations that we put on ourselves as moms and that society puts on us as moms for what our bodies should and shouldn't do. And I think that this baggage in particular is really really hard to lay down um, because it involves forgiving ourselves which gosh I don't know that is so difficult it takes so long to do that Um, so I what I really liked was this this idea that forgiving ourselves doesn't mean that we don't care right? Like, mm-hmm. I still care that I couldn't breastfeed my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but it no longer dominates my life out of anger, right? Like, I, yes. I, I think that's, that's really where this idea of baggage and, and forgiveness and animating our lives plays into motherhood is with my body failed in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And when we, and then when that's the thought we think over and over, um, when we attach, I think our, our feelings and our worth to that thought, like my body failed me, uh, there's nowhere to go with that, but pain, uh, and suffering really. And, and, and it, it, whether you keep seeing it as your body failed you or whatever words you put to it, I think, yeah, saying this happened and, um, I can't change it. So reconnecting and reconnecting with the past as the thing we, you know, we, we, I realized at some point, you know, I, I literally can't change this thing, but I'm looping back and looping back. And that has an effect on our chronic stress and our whole body. Every time we re-experience that. And, and I realized I was, I was spending so much time and energy and emotion in that old place that, that was over. And again, it's not that I didn't care about it. It's not that it wasn't real, but I was using my present moment with my, those same children, (laughs) you know, 
to attach to something that was already done. And I could either use my life for what was right in front of me, them staring up at me now older in the kitchen and, you know, wanting to be present to them or using it to attach to all of that stuff that was already over. Very real. It happened. It was a thing. Um, but I couldn't make sense of the energy I was giving over to it anymore uh, because it kept me from being in the real present moment with them. And, and that was stealing something from me, from my current life. Right. I mean, I think it's true whether you are looking backwards, this, whatever this event was, is now taking all of my energy from allowing me to be present and have joy at this moment. Or in the case of the NICU, oftentimes there's this worry about what's going to happen tomorrow in three days from now, that your mind goes into this future place with so much worry that you're worrying away your joy of the moment. And so this baggage can be past or it can be future and you you cannot hold on to it and still have joy in this moment. Yeah, and I know not just myself, but so many people my age or still in my life that they're carrying stuff around that is ruining their lives. You know, it's it's obvious, um, meaning, you know, still holding on to a lot of things. And then the and and it's just leaking out everywhere. <laughs> so right. um and then the and then the future stuff, you know, is a whole not entirely different, like you said, but the worrying about what is going to happen is is the future thought. It unlike baggage, which is something that actually did already happen when we're like worried about very real things, you know, life, death, our children's health, our own health, our financial situation, whatever the real concern is. But when we spend all that time up in the future, we're also to your point, not present in this moment. And those things are unfounded as of yet. Correct. You know, so they're different because they're not yet real. Whereas the, and I get that they feel very real. And, and I, I tend to think like, if I'm not worrying about it, it must mean I don't care. You know, that my worry is an expression of my concern or my, my motherness, you know, like I, and, and somehow it almost feels like it's insulating. Like if I worry enough, it won't, might not happen. <laughs> um, instead of thinking of it like, well, for the future things, like if there's something I can do, you know, about this future worry, then I can try to go do that thing. That that's, that's a sane use of my energy. Right. But if there's not, if it's literally just a thought I'm having, like, uh, you know, I wonder if they're going to be okay when this happens, or I wonder if they're going to hit this milestone, or I wonder if, um, they're going to be okay when they move here or when this happens. If I keep doing that about completely unfounded things, and man, I can get myself in that. You know, I call it the roulette wheel where you're just kind of putting your like energy on a little roulette wheel and you let Finn spirit spin it. And then it just is like you get whatever you get from fear. Right. Instead of saying, if I can do something about this, I'll do it because that's within my capability. And if I can't, and I keep attaching to it again, I'm suffering for no reason. I, I really liked in your book how you described the difference between a worry and a problem. 
So a worry is something that you don't have control over that may or may not occur and you don't have an action that you can take against it, right? So it's consuming energy that cannot go to any productive end versus a problem is something that if you take energy and you put it towards it, you can solve this problem. There is a discernible action. There is a change in the outcome that you have control over. And I thought that was a really good um, uh, distinguisher between worries and problems. Because I think we have a, I don't know if I should say we have a tendency, but I think sometimes we can get caught in turning and in, in conf- confounding the two, right? Like mm-hmm. worries and problems are the same thing, but actually they're very, very different. Yeah. And I think that some ways to tell, like you said, are if there's a way to solve it, potentially, maybe not right in the moment, but there is an eventual way to chip away at solving something, that's probably a problem. But if it's just a thought about a future thing that hasn't yet happened that you have no idea will ever happen, it's it's a worry. And I call it pre-worry because even though that's, but I mean, all worry is pre, it's pre-worrying about something that hasn't happened yet. And the, and the problems, and I think in the book, I gave the example just to make it concrete of you know, if there, if there's a snowstorm coming and that's the problem, and then you, you can go, um, you know, buy a snow shovel, you can have some salt and some things and you can plan, you can plan about that problem that's upcoming. And that's a constructive use of your energy. But if you're, if what you end up doing is sitting on your couch all night, refreshing your weather app, like every three seconds, because what is going to happen in the morning and you don't know. And you know, what about my commute to work? And I wonder if they'll plow my neighborhood. Like you can get into a, a funnel of worry before, you know, like, for example, I, I just flew home from Arizona yesterday and I got a notica- notification from Delta the night before that there might be weather in the Midwest. And did I want to change my flight? And so I had that initial, like, Oh, I should go re I should go rebook my flight. And oh my gosh. And what if I don't get home and I have the, this podcast to record and I don't want to be late. And I was, I was already down the rabbit trail of worry. And so I, I thought, well, what can I, can I do anything? And so I looked at like the national weather. I didn't really see anything for any of the cities I was going to. And I just thought, well, just wake up and see if, you know, there, I don't think I should change it because I have a pretty good set of flights. Let me wake up and see what actually happens. And like nothing ever happened. And, you know, we were, I got all my flights, nothing, no weird weather happened anywhere. The day before we were supposed to get a bunch of snow here and we got, you know, a little tiny drizzle of rain or something. So it's that kind of like, what are, how much energy do you put toward something that hasn't happened? You can plan, but don't plan to worry. I don't think we can stop the thoughts. So I don't want anybody thinking, well, I just have these thoughts and they won't stop. I don't know that we can control having the thought. It's just what we do with it and how many, how much we talk about it, how much we time we spend wringing our hands over something instead of actually living. I always tell this story when I found out that I was pregnant with twins because a neonatologist pregnant with twins is uh, essentially um, 
a, a recipe for disaster in many, many ways, but not the least of which was the amount of cycled worry that happened in my head. My husband said, but babe, none of that is happening today. Like, mm. just stop worrying about it. And, and, and I remember, I was like, you don't understand. You don't live in my world. You don't see all of these babies in the NICU all the time. You aren't doing these consults at 19 weeks when people rupture and they lose their twins. You don't live in my world. How can you tell me not to worry about these things? Of course I have to worry about them. So I, I wanted to punch him, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I was really not yeah. a very, I was not very nice when he told me, stop focusing on all of the problems. Mm-hmm. That said, I think what really helped was just like you said, you cannot stop the thoughts from coming. They they are going to come because it's a natural thing to worry. Well, what mm-hmm. if? Well, but but what if I go into labor? But what if I rupture? Well, what if I end up on bed rest and I can't work and we have our preschooler and what are like you can't stop those things. What if my preemie gets reintubated? What if my preemie can't tolerate feeds? What if my preemie needs surgery? What if but again, deciding whether or not you're going to put energy into it and it is really, really helpful. And so I got used to saying, so the thought would come in and I would say, but that's not happening today. So I'll worry about it tomorrow. Um, and then the next thought would come in. And sometimes, they, I mean, I was inundated with with them. Like when my son was hospitalized with COVID, I had tons of thoughts coming. Um, but that's not happening today. I'll deal with it tomorrow, right? And just put it off for one day. And then I'm I'm recognizing that the thought is there. I'm recognizing that the worry is there. But I'm not actually putting any energy into it. So I think that was very, very helpful to me in, in kind of stopping that pre-worry was just being able to say, but it's not happening right now. I'll deal with it tomorrow, next hour, whenever. I think the other thing that took a lot longer was realizing that I am a strong person and no matter what it is that comes I will figure I will figure it out. I I will I, I will get through it somehow. I will manage the feelings, the emotion, the pain, the joy, the whatever it is. I believe in myself. I am a resilient and confident person. I can handle whatever it is that that I am worrying about. That took a lot longer to develop that confidence. But part of it was started when I said, I'll deal with that tomorrow. And then the follow-on thought was, and I'm strong enough that I can deal with it if it comes. Um, and after I said it a million and one times, maybe I started to believe it. And now that I've started telling other people, hey, this can work, I'm sure many people want to punch me when I tell them, this is how I dealt with, re- this is how I deal with really stressful pre-worry type things. And then they're like, oh yeah, it actually, it actually does make me feel a little better in the long run, right? Yes. And, and, that, and I love that. I love that you added the the part about being a strong person because everyone really is 
you know, like you, and, and it's like having the plan B, you know, it's like, and if it does, then you have a place to put that thought is like, I can, I can deal with it. Me and my people, me and my crew, me and my resources will deal with it. Right. You know, and, um, and I can, you know, the, the parents sitting at the bedside in the NICU saying, well, I'm worried about, I mean, it's just, I, I cannot fathom the number of things that are just like, if, 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 and when, when, when I feel like problems will just show up. We don't usually have to ask for them. So, so if we're kind of to your point of, if I'm sitting here today in this moment with my baby and, and things are quote peaceful, like there, things are stable today. That's what I know for right now. And if there's a change to that, it's going to be apparent. And then if that changes, then I will, like you said, I will have resources or what's the plan. So it might be, here's the three people I rely on, not the 27, because then they'll all give you their opinion, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. But like, who are your real people who can hear hard things, support you in those hard things and not add to the drowning feeling you're having, who can really keep you above surface and like what that kind of being that, that plan. So instead of, okay, if I'm just going to enjoy right here or not even enjoy, I'm here, <laughs> I'm just here. And then if in fact something changes in this situation for the worse, my, then just having the plan, I'm going to just tell these people, cause then they'll help me. Maybe it's, you know, the doctor, the, you know, primary nurse, your spouse and your best friend, right. whatever. These, this is my team. This is who I'm going to rely on. Uh, and even just having that in your head, like, like you did, it gives your thoughts somewhere productive to land instead of just spinning because the spinning will just make us sick. Yeah, it um, will. It will. Yeah. And, short and it term will also, or long term. Yeah. Short term or long term. And it will also, um, I tell people, don't worry away your joy because that spinning prevents you from finding any joy or anything to be grateful for in the period of time that you are spinning. You you cannot find it while you're spinning. Yeah, and and it's it took me a long time to realize that the the worry wasn't going to protect the people I was worried about. It and it actually does the opposite in that it's making us cue some release of stress hormones and things in ourselves, which is in the end not going to help us be there for the people that we're probably worried about. <laughs> you know, so it's, it is a, it's a, it's a thing. And it's, I think it's, um, I don't know if it's moms in particular, but I feel like we, we do, um, do this a lot in different phases and seasons of life. It changes, mm -hmm. um, in, in, in different ways. Um, and I like, uh, what Joe Bolte Taylor said about that as well, is that when something happens and you do have that, uh, stress response, um, that that really, that chemical response in our body really only lasts 90 seconds of, of like, in case we need it, right. In case we have the fight or flight, in case we need to be on guard, but that after that 90 seconds, it's just the only stress is us reconnecting to the story. And that was really helpful to me as well, just to think of it like that. Like I can keep that loop going and keep doing that and keep in that stress cycle, or I can find that place to put my thoughts like you were talking about and having that, that, uh, the other plan. Right. Well, and I think, you know, having a place to put your thoughts is really helpful because saying 
for, for me, it was very helpful because telling myself not to worry about it, that was not helpful. Like, that that's just not helpful. I, I, right. I, I cannot do that. But acknowledging the worry and then placing it someplace in the future so that it I know that it will come back, I will readdress it in the future, that was really helpful. Um, because saying, well, don't worry about your baby. They're in the NICU. They're fine. That is an unreasonable request. Yes. Of course you're going to worry. And you are going to worry about the what ifs. But just acknowledge it and put it on the shelf for later. Later. Yes, and if there are, yeah. If, if later if there comes, real, it's there. Yeah. Yes. And if there are real questions in there, then it's like, can I write them down? And then then the putting the thoughts somewhere is for rounds the next morning. I'm going to ask these questions. Yes. Um, and, and like that's another placeholder for your thoughts. So having those places to put things that instead of just thinking them all night, writing them down is really helpful. And it gets it getting them out of our frontal lobe is really helpful for our brains. And then, you know, you can say, okay, these are my questions in rounds or these are my questions for the nurse in the morning. Again, it, it gets gets them literally out of swirling around and on paper and and out of our head. And and one last thing I'll say about this that I found helpful was um, from someone named Byron Katie. But she um, a few of these questions she asks. She always says, "You can't help the thought from appearing." So like, you know, we can't make them go away. Um, but the first question she asks herself is, "Is that true?" So do I already know that this thing I'm worried about is true? You know, like my teenager's late, so they must be dead in a gutter, you know, so that kind of thought. So do I know it to be true? Yes or no. And then, and then how do I behave when I believe the thought? And that's a really, was a really interesting question because I would sometimes in my spinny worry think, how am I behaving right now? Because I'm just, I'm like in my head, 90 miles away from my own like husband, like I, I've been thinking of something all night long that's worrying me, worrying me, worrying me. And instead I'm not even here. So with how I behave when I believe the thought is that I'm not present at all. I'm somewhere over here. So that that just, just helped me over time, usually not in an acute situation, you know, like when it hits you in the gut, but a little bit later, <laughs> um, how am I behaving? And I was like, oh, okay, that's not really helpful right now. Yeah. And at least say it out loud, if nothing else. If nothing yeah. else. Yeah. No, that's good. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about with you was this idea that balance is an energy sucking myth. I <laughs> loved that quote <laughs> because I think we're all on a quest for balance, right? Well, if I can just balance my life, I'll have time for everything. Um and balance is an energy sucking myth. I absolutely love that quote. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. That's I believe it strongly. So um yeah, I in all of the you know journey um in my life, I really did. I was I really hated that phrase. Everybody would just say, Oh, well, you know, you just have to seek balance and everything will make sense, or you must, or they because I loved my job, I must somehow be out of balance with the rest of my life. And it's all the things that people tell you about your balance as well. Um, and, uh, and so I 
kind of went in search of a better way to think about it. And, you know, and again, I kind of went back to something the babies, you know, was right in front of me, which was, you know, all day we try to keep them in alignment. So if you have a baby in the NICU, you know, we're trying to keep them in their little positioning aids and keep their bodies flexed and around the middle of their body, you know, hands to, toward the middle of their body and all their joints in alignment, because that'll help their growth and development. And, and when they are out of alignment, cause they naturally wiggle around and they should, um, then we just, instead of it being like, oh, I'm all out of alignment, we just go put them back in alignment. And so I started to think of that sort of construct instead of balance, because balance to me always felt like that I was supposed to somehow have like eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work and eight hours of whatever else, family and all of whatever else had to go in life, like, you know, the post office or whatever, all somehow crammed in this other thing after 5 p.m. but before bed and after sports and all the things, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, somehow. So, um, and I just didn't think our lives were like a math equation. They're just complicated and they're nuanced and they're individual. And, and they're more about what we individually value and find you know, important in our lives is might be different for you than it is for me. And no one should be telling us how many hours to spend where. And I really didn't think in the end it came down to hours and days. That's how I felt though. Like anytime I left my kids for a work trip or had to go to work on a day, they had a snow day. I felt horrible. Like I'm all out of balance, you know, cause, and then when do I make up for the balance? You know, when do I make up for the time I was away? I got to come home and then spend equal amounts of time with my kids as I was away. And you're just always, you're never in the right place at the right time for the right people. And so I do think that that thought just sucks the life out of us. Um, and, and I don't ever use that term anymore. Um, but what instead I do is, is look to that word alignment. And so just like for the babies, I kind of picture alignment, like a straight line, like from my head through my body and, and meaning that what is at the core of what I want my life to, uh, to align around, you know, and, and what do I care about and how do I want to spend my time? And so instead of it being equal hours and math, um, I instead kind of wrote down like, what are my priorities? Like what is most valuable to me? You know, and for me, it was, you know, my family, my close friends and my work and then of course, to do all those things would be like taking care of myself so that I can keep having being on the planet <laughs> and, and, you know, being around all these things I like, but even within each of those things, there's a million choices, right? I mean, do you go to the out of town kid, you know, kid game, sports game, a million decisions, even when you know what your priorities are. So, so instead I, I would draw that same line that I pictured in myself, just draw a straight line on a page and I would just write down those values and priorities kind of along that line. And then, and then I would kind of fan them out a little bit. Like, what do I care most about say with my kids? You know, I really cared about being at some of their events. They meant a lot to both of us. And I would let them tell me, Hey, what, if you, if I can go to two or three things in your whole school year during work hours, what would they be out of the 3000 examples, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, they would tell me and I would, you know, we would come up with that. And then I would take those days off or I would pre-plan for that time. But I would then with eventually with a clear conscience, let go of all the other things 
so that when all the things came home, do you want to volunteer? Do you want to volunteer? Do I already knew what I was going to volunteer for. And, and it was important to me to be prioritized those things, but I couldn't do all of them. Um, and I would then fully show up at the things I signed up for because I wasn't trying to be at all of them. Um, don't you think that that also releases a little bit of guilt about it? Like, I know I'm going to do these three things. And so when the email comes in asking for volunteers and you you're like, oh, I already know I'm not doing that one. You're not replaying it in your mind of I feel guilty. I can't be at all of my kids events. Right. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it gets rid of that guilt because you you're purposefully saying I am doing these things. This is yes. what I want to do. My kids and I decided it together. So I don't need to feel guilty that I can't help in library on Tuesday. Exactly. It's just already decided. And and I think when you start doing that, it gets easier and easier too to be like, delete <laughs> or whatever, or, you know, I already signed up for something else, but have, and then having sort of just what your reply is, if you have to reply, but also, yeah, no guilt, delete, delete. I've already decided what I'm going to, sh- to be at. And the same, so um, when I wrote down those things that I, I valued kind of in alignment, what's most important, then when things and opportunities came, I could kind of know already just by looking at what was important to me, am I going to say yes or no to these things? And so instead of it being like, I need equal parts, work, sleep, home, kids, husband, all the things, it just became like, what was in alignment with my life and what wasn't. And they didn't always um, favor any thing entirely like work or kids, or it just depended on the season a lot. You know, when my kids were in grade school or early high school before they could drive, those were busy, busy family seasons of my life. And now that they are older, um, you know, I have a different focus I can, I can put on work and things like that. So, um, it relieved me of all the balanced things. Um, it let me say no to things I never really liked in the first place, like going to various neighborhood things, (laughs) um, you know, whatever, whatever you call it, you know, the, the parties, the things, um, I, I just decided what I actually really enjoyed and not. And, and I just, I just let it go. And some people really didn't like that. Um, if I said, you know, I just don't really feel like going out or because I had to, you only have so much energy. Yeah. And so if I really want to do this nap thing and I want to write a book and I want to be there for my family, that's about it, by the way, you know, like there's not a lot of other, you know, and I, my, my treasured close friends. And then I say no to a whole lot of stuff. Right. You cannot be the social butterfly in addition to all of that other stuff. Yeah. And if social butterfly is your thing, then you're going to make space for that in your life. And you're probably going to give up something else so that you can be a happy social butterfly, you know? Right. Um, And so there's no right or wrong. It's your alignment, your life, and you get to say yes or no to things. And, And I also then would learn like even stuff that was a really great opportunity you know, um, you know, I might be asked to speak somewhere, but, and it would be really cool, but it takes, you know, maybe it's in California. So it takes me kind of four days to go do it. You know, even if it's for an hour, um, I might say no to something because I'd rather stay focused on something that's here, or I'd rather have time off at a different time to do something with my family or so it's, it just, 
you get sharper and sharper about making those decisions out of alignment instead of balance. And it relieves you from trying to make it all even. I just don't think that's how life works. Well, and I like when I think about it in an imagery, um, like a visual picture of it, and you think about balance, I think about a gesture standing on a ball on one leg with 15 (laughs) cups in the air and nothing is calm. Nothing is really where it needs to be. It's kind of all wobbly. And then when I think about alignment, I think about like the tree pose in yoga where you're (laughs) rooted and you're centered and you're, you're focused and you're calm. And So like even from an imagery standpoint, the idea of alignment is so much more peaceful than the idea of balance, which is not going to come. Yeah. And it's constant like adjustment, the balance and, and the alignment too, I think just like the babies, we're going to wiggle out of our own alignment. And if we're going to say, these are what's important to me. As soon as you say that something's going to come in, that's like very tempting. (laughs) And, and sometimes we're going to say yes to some things that maybe we find ourselves at, and then we think, did I really say yes to this? Um, and instead of being, you know, unkind to ourselves in that moment, like, oh, I must not be good at this, or I'm totally out of alignment. I think we can just expect that we will be sometimes. And then the good news is when you know what your center is, you just literally like pick up all the little lessons from that other place and bring them back to where, you know, is your alignment and you just start over. And so there's just a lot of grace for yourself and not um, trying to be in all the perfect places at the right time. And then, oh, by the way, also put it on Instagram that instead you can just come back to what's what you care about. It's your, your oh, no one else is living your life. So one of the we have quotes and mantras and life lessons or whatever that we do with our kids. Um, so they'll they'll walk around and and, and say silly little phrases Um well, they're not really silly, but like they, they come out with these like expressions and people are like, what are you talking about? But one of them is when your actions are in line with your values, you have a credible claim on happiness. Mm, love that. And and that's I think that's what essentially what you're getting yes. to with this alignment when you're when your actions, what you're doing is in line with your values what is important to you what what are your priorities then then you have a credible claim on happiness you that that is where we all want to be and when you're doing and doing and doing and it's not what you want to be doing there is no way to get to that credible claim on happiness yeah and and that's how i run our organization same thing you know that we decide what is important to us what is in alignment with our vision, and we say no to everything else. Um, And and if we mess up, you know, something, because we're human, we are accountable to it, you know, because we value that sort of transparency and that honesty. And so we just know where we we stand and we get back there if we're out of it. And, And it gives us momentum and clarity and it gives your life the same thing. What did I not ask you about today that you just have to say? That's a great question. Um, hmm. 
you know, I think back and, and I don't know if most of your listeners have young children or babies in the NICU. Um, but I think back to, to that time, both spending in the NICU and then having young children and all the people that would say, you know, hold on to this moment. They go by so fast and, and all that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, I just got to get all the dirty diapers out of the garbage, whatever, you know, you're like in the stuff and it's really hard to see. I would just say the one thing that has helped me as a parent the most was some advice I got from one of my friends who's a family therapist, actually. <laughs> but she said uh, that no matter what, just stay connected to your kids and and whatever that looks like for you. And, and that has helped me through all these different seasons. So instead of worrying about being the perfect parent, instead of knowing exactly what to do in the book, no one ever gave us about raising children and no matter when they're teenagers or when they're whatever, all the things that even when I felt like I had no answers and no abilities, maybe no resources that were good for this particular situation, what I could come back to no matter what is how do I connect with my kids in this moment? And that has, in the end, always been enough. I think that's great advice. I always end each podcast asking uh, my guests what they're grateful for today, because I think it is really important to find something to be grateful for every day. What are you grateful for today? I am grateful for, I'd say, two things right in this moment, which is one is that the sun is out in January in Ohio. Excellent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not always true. And and I'm really grateful to be here. Um, I'm grateful to meet you and to have the honor to speak to your audience uh, because it always opens up something new in me. And I just hope that I um I consider it such a privilege to, you know, that you someone will trust me with the people that they care about. And so I'm just grateful that that you have done that today. I, I am also grateful that you were able to come on the podcast today. And I love your first, what you're grateful for, because I think that demonstrates exactly what I want people to know about those those moments of gratitude. Like, it doesn't have to be life altering. Although sunshine in Ohio, I mean, you could you could say that that is life altering. But, <laughs> but that's the, you know, it's sometimes it's those really little things that we are the most grateful for on any given day. Yes, they help. Well, Sue, I, I just cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast. I just really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. All right, you too. Thank you so much. This podcast is from my mom, Dr. Anna Zimmerman. It is intended for your education. It is not individual medical advice. Join us next time. Thank you for listening. You keep saying it, Walt. No, podcast.